0: Over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you about grace unwrapped, and we've just been talking through the subject of grace, and, um, you know, I, I love how we ended worship today, because even the last couple of it was just kind of simple and focused, and you know, even kind of the music dropped, and why? Because Christmas is all about Jesus. It really is all about Him. Without Him, there is no Christmas. We might have a holiday, and we might have parties, but there's no meaning. It would just be kind of pointless, it, you know. Why? Because what we celebrate at Christmas is really the arrival of grace. And I've been sharing with you over the last couple of weeks about the idea of grace and really kind of unpacking it and looking at it. And, and, you know, uh, I think it was week one where I shared with you that grace is the gift that just keeps on giving. And and it's so important because why? Because uh, another word for grace you could say is mercy. The Bible says that God's mercy is new every day for us. In other words, every day that we wake up, there's new grace for that day for us. Why? Because we need God's grace every day. Like, well, what is grace? It's God's ability in me to do what I can't do. That's what grace really is. I mean, and it's a huge subject because you can't talk about Jesus without talking about grace. You can't talk about grace without talking about Jesus. He is grace. They are one in the same. They're not a separate subject. And so even here at Christmas, man, we get so caught up in all the trappings and the wrappings and all the hustle of the season and all these things that are going on. And yet sometimes I think like this morning, it's good just to kind of slow it down and focus for a minute. You know, because, and it is so important because Christmas is the story of God's grace coming for us. It didn't just come to us, it came for us. You know we were singing that song a moment ago. Is it love came down and rescued me. Love came down and what set me free? From what? Ultimately from myself. Why? Because without grace, without Christ, guess what? I am just a sinner. Sometimes we can think, well, well, God rescued us from sin. Yeah, But he really rescued me from me. Because left to myself, I'm a big old disaster. I'm enough of a disaster with Jesus some days. You can ask my wife. But without him, man, am I a mess. And we all are. And so he came to deliver us. Jesus came to help a helpless humanity. Why? Because nobody could do anything about their condition that's what grace is. It's God stepping right into the middle and saying, let me do for you what, for, what you cannot do for yourself. Jesus stepped right into the middle of that, and so that's what we talked about. And last week, uh, didn't you enjoy the Christmas service last week? Did y'all have fun with all the, everything going on? And- I think the video that Aaron made, which he did a great job on, made everybody laugh a lot and, you know, and we enjoyed everything. So I thank everybody who put in the time and the effort and all the energy that goes into pulling off a service like that. It was a little different, but it it was a lot of fun. And so who are all my eggnog people? I just want to know who the weird ones are, you know, and just, I'm the eggnog guy, (laughs) like that's me. And uh, I was surprised, I got to be honest, that so many people liked eggnog, who knew? And, uh, but... Anyhow, if you weren't here, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but we had a lot of fun last week. But uh, one of the things that I shared with you last week was this idea uh, is about, and I, I, I phrased it like this, is that, that there's this thought is that grace replaces, grace replaces our brokenness for God's healing. God, grace replaces our sin for his forgiveness. You know, and there were all these little phrases that I had thought about it, that really grace, and that's what grace does grace takes something but returns something much better that's what grace does and the scripture for that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 and it says this for god made the only one who did not know sin and this is an important word to become sin jesus didn't just take on our sin he became sin He didn't just say, well, let me, you know, throw it on like a backpack. Let me carry the sin to the cross. It was much deeper than that. No, he became sin. I don't have time to go into all that that means and why that's important. But literally, he became all that we were. Remember, I said that Jesus came for what? To help a helpless humanity. And here it says, for God made the only one who did not know sin, to become sin for us. He became sin for us. And then it goes on, it says, so that we who did not know righteousness might become. There's that word again. See, if Jesus didn't become sin, we couldn't become righteousness. Now, this is why that's important. If Jesus could put on uh, our sin like a backpack, We could put on his righteousness like a backpack. In other words, I could throw it off. But the fact that I have now become righteousness, it's not something I put on, it's now who I am. Jesus became sin for me so that I could become righteous. That word righteous simply means that God is not mad at me. God is not out to get me. God is not waiting just to smash me. God is not, he's not looking to avenge my wrongs. No, that was, Jesus became the one that God, if you want to say it this way, unleashed his anger upon. Jesus became sin for me. He became sin for you. Why? So that you could become just like Jesus. This is the Christmas story. I mean, think about this: when God looks at us, He thinks the same thing as when He looks at Jesus. Now, that's—I I don't know if my, even I can wrap my brain completely fully around that thought, because my my thought is is yeah, but <laughs> but Jesus doesn't have this, and Je- no, Jesus became. So that we can become He became our sin, so that we could become right with God. And it's an amazing thing. So it says that we can become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. See, Jesus came to write in us a new but a very different story than what had been. It was a whole new way of living, because I can't imagine living under the Old Testament. Because the truth is is that in the Bible, there are these terms and there's these seasons, we call them dispensations. It's a time frame in which God works. You may not realize it, but right now you actually live and exist in the dispensation of grace. In other words, it's the time of grace. That's what a dispensation is. It's a time. And yet we live in the time of grace. It's the greatest time ever, and yet when Jesus came, that was, it was a turning point. I mean, our calendar changed, but there was also a spiritual calendar that changed as well. Is that it went from just being a, a law abiding citizen to now a son in the house, a daughter in the house of God. This is the, this is the reason that Jesus came. It was so that we could, what? Now, not, not just be servants. But we could be children just like Jesus. We're not some secondary like half Jesus. No, he became so that we can become. That's what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. That's what scripture says. That's the reason that he came. And so I don't know if we can really fully comprehend what life would be like if Jesus had not come. Because I only know the time in which I exist, which is right now. I mean, I, I can maybe take some, some thoughts and, you know, just think about what it would have been like to have to do all the, the rituals and all the ceremonies and all the things of the Old Testament, but I've never had to do them. I mean, we go hunt for fun. Can you imagine having to do it all the time? I mean, just the if you go and read in the Old Testament what they had to do, it was an unbelievable amount of time. now i'm sure they were probably proficient and all those things but i don't care if you butcher an animal it still takes some time. and you had to do it very specifically and it was very i mean it was very detailed. and yet we got off the hook. we don't have to do any of that why? because that was all symbolic of what would be done in christ. it was all pointing towards him. And it's what he did. And you're like, well, why do we need to know all that? Because if you understand what happened in the Old Testament, it tells you what Jesus did for you. To the degree is that everything was so detailed. Because to God it mattered. Why? Because it mattered what Jesus was going to do. And God wanted to make sure that every I was dotted, every T was crossed, everything to perfection. That way when Jesus came, he could fulfill every part for us. So that we could become every part of who He is. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. See, at Christmas, and I've shared this over the last couple of weeks, man, we really celebrate that our God, our Creator, came to earth. That's what Christmas is all about. We celebrate the birth, the life of Jesus. But here's the thing if Jesus was just born and died, probably not that big a deal, honestly. The difference is, is that Jesus didn't just die. He resurrected. He came to life. I mean, and, and that, and because he came to life, the Bible says, now we can come to life in this newness, this freshness of life. And, and, and so this is really the, Christ, and it's the beauty of the Christmas story. God didn't send Jesus just haphazardly and just kind of like, well, go figure it out if you want. No, he, he'd already laid it all out. There was a, a great plan that God had put into work, and Jesus came to fulfill that, the, the, the plan. I mean, Jesus said this. The devil comes to tempt Jesus in Luke 4, John 4, and it's in several of the Gospels, and, and Jesus every time responds and says, you know, because he's like, hey, if you're God, prove it. And he says, no, the Scriptures say. And then he, in the end, he says, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me. You see that all the time. Jesus, I don't speak anything that I don't first hear of my father. Jesus was not here on his own agenda. He was here on God's agenda, and God's agenda was us. He was looking for us. He was wanting to bring a family back, and that was the heart behind what we celebrate. And so, I mean, you think about it. Jesus, the Bible says, was the creator of the universe. He was the The architect, the designer, the builder of everything we've ever seen and known, and yet the builder came to redeem what he had built. That's what Christmas is really all about. It's about bringing us back into a relationship that God always wanted, that we were originally created for. We weren't meant for judgment, we were meant for relationship. This is why we celebrate and In Ephesians chapter 2, we've, we've read this verse over the last couple of weeks, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It says, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's the first Christmas present you were ever given. It was the grace of God because Jesus had already purchased it, already bought it, already packaged it up, ready for you to to receive it and to enjoy it. The grace of God came. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So salvation and grace, it's not about earning it. If you could earn it, then Jesus didn't need to come. That's the whole reason he came, because it could not be earned. Even with all of the processes, all of the procedures, all the ceremonies, all the sacrifices, none of it was enough. They were just buying time until Jesus came. You know, I mean, we have that phrase, like pay it forward, somebody does something nice, so you do something nice for somebody else. In a sense... That's what they were doing in the Old Testament. They were simply paying it forward. Except the problem was the bill just kept racking up. No one ever paid the bill. So the bill just kept getting larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. Until Jesus came and says, hey, I can pay that. Paid in full. That's what Jesus came to do. And so grace will never be something I mean, you know, Paul had to talk to a church, and he told them, he, he, because he was like, who has fooled you or tricked you? It was the Corinthian church, and he said, who has fooled you? That which began in the Spirit, by the grace of God, that somehow you believe that now that you're saved, that now you're going to do this in the flesh. He's like, who tricked you? Who lied to you? He said, no, no, no. What started by the grace of God, guess what? Will continue and will finish by the grace of God. There's no way for us to do this in and of ourselves. It's, it's the grace of God who gives us not only the desire, but the will, the ability to be who he's called us to be. Now I want to give you a thought, and it comes out of 2 Peter chapter 3, really in verse 18. I'm going to read this out of two different passages because, and this is really my heart for the message this morning is, you know, because we've talked over the last couple of weeks and we really talked about, uh, in week one, talked about the gift of grace. Week two, we talked about grace in a manger, really uh, about Jesus coming. But today I wanted to share with you some thoughts about this idea, which is that we are to, the Bible says, to grow in grace. Grace is not just a one-time event that happened salvation is not just a one-time event that happened we are to grow in the grace of God we are to develop and we are always in this process it won't be complete until we stand before the Lord this side of heaven there will always be more grace for us to be able to grow into and so here in this passage of Scripture, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it gives us some instructions. It says, grow spiritually mature in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the, in, in the what? The grace and the knowledge. That word knowledge is not just head knowledge. It's really revelation. It's understanding. It's like, man, I get this. It's more than words on a page. It's a heart understanding of what Jesus or who he is and what he's done for us. That's really what it's talking about. The Passion Translation says it this way. It says to continue to grow and increase in the grace of God. Increase in the grace of God. That means I ought to be experiencing more of Jesus today than the day I got saved. And here's the good news. You may say, well I'm not. You can. You absolutely can. can. Why? Because Scripture tells us to. And Scripture can't tell us to do something that we can't do. And it says, grow, increase in grace, and in intimacy with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we we talk many times, and, and you hear us talk about the importance of your next step, and your next step, and your next step, and your next step. Why? Because steps matter. Because if you don't start stepping, there will be no growth. Jesus did not die for us to just get saved and say, I'm sorry, and I need forgiveness. Jesus came so that we could become developed, mature believers. Because with maturity also comes a deeper level of relationship. Jesus didn't come so that we could have a shallow relationship. No, no, he came so that we could have a life-altering, life-changing intimacy with God. Not some secondary, shallow Christianity. No, I mean something that revolutionizes your life and continues to revolutionize your life. That's why Jesus came. I don't have time to to read it, but over in uh, 1 John chapter 2, really in verses 12 through 14, it really talks about stages of spiritual growth. I would encourage you to go and read it, and you can read it in context, but uh, it really talks about four different levels, if you will, or places, because the truth is we all start at the same place. You might, you might have been a, a child when you got saved. You might have been a teenager like me. You might have been an adult, but it doesn't matter. Your chronological age, your spiritual age all started at the same point, which is what? Where do we all start physical life? A baby, right? We all start as a baby. Nobody, you know, sometimes I make jokes because my son was rather large that that Derrick gave birth to a toddler. Well, (laughs) he wasn't a toddler yet. He just kind of looked like it. It was like, wow, that's a big old kid. How are you folded up like, you know, I mean, like, it's pretty impressive. Boy's gonna be a gymnast one day. (laughs) Probably not. He's not that coordinated today, but He's really smart, though. But no, it talks about spiritual growth, and it talks about what is it? It, it actually gives us the phrase of that you could be a little child, a baby, and that's not a, an insulting thing, but it's just the truth. If you know where you are, you know where to you know where to move towards, and there wants to be development. So it talks about little children, and then it talks about children. They're a little more mature. They understand a few things. I mean, like when my kids were born, they drank milk. Well, My kids eat some food now, depending on the day of the week. But they eat actual food. And sometimes I have to tell my son, hey, ice cream ain't food, son. Like, I want ice cream. Great. You got to eat some food, though. Why? Because I don't want him to stay where he is. I want him to develop. And, And so, and it parallels our natural life. Or at least it should. It goes on though. And so you have little children and children. And then there's young men. And then it goes into fathers. If you want to know if you're spiritually mature. I can give you this very simple way to find out. Are you helping other people? Are you building? Are you, are you helping to walk with people? Because if you're not. You're somewhere else on this scale. Fully mature in Christ is what? Is helping others. That's why we believe in making a difference. We want people to know God. We want them to find freedom. Yeah, but that's, that steps in the process of gaining into the maturity that Christ came to, to help us to, to achieve, if you will. Although we don't achieve it. We just walk it out. He's already achieved it. But we believe, man, we want every person to know God. We want every person in our city to know God. Why? Because that's the starting point, but that's not the finishing line. God created you for a purpose. That's why we believe in discover and really helping you find your God-given wiring. Why? Because ultimately all that comes about to help you make a difference. This is all part of the process of what God has for us. Over in Hebrews chapter five, uh, the apostle actually writes to a church and, and he actually, he kind of gets onto them a little bit. He kind of scolds them a little bit. And he says, look, I would love to give you some solid food, but you guys are still Babies. Y'all still drinking the milk of the word, but man, I've got something deeper for you, but you're not ready for it. I mean, this this idea is actually throughout the New Testament. It's not like a, a singular here and there kind of, it's all through it. But we determine our level of growth. We determine how much of the grace of God that we access. I mean, it's like having a huge bank account, but we just... We got a a debit card, we got the account number, we know everything, we just don't ever use the money. But we can access the grace of God. And there are ways, and part of of accessing it is part of developing, it's part of growing in the grace that God has for us. We don't have to do it, we just have to cooperate with it. And And it's not complicated, and so the question is, very simply, how do we grow in the grace of Christ? How? so the Bible says that we should we 've talked about it, we 've discussed, but how do we do this? What Peter means and let me give you a little understanding here as to what he 's saying here, is that Peter means that we are to grow or to mature in our understanding, and and this is important, not just in our understanding but also in our experience. One of the things. That Jesus changed by coming was in the Old Testament. People could see God from a distance. They could hear God from a distance. The priest would come back and say, this is what the Lord says. When Jesus resurrected, that all changed. The Bible says that from the moment that he stepped out of that grave, it says that the veil, which was a a very thick curtain that separated the most holy place, which is where the presence of God and and the high priest could only go in there once a year to atone for the sins of, of of the nation. And if the priest had any, if he hadn't done any of those rituals right, they would put bells on the bottom of his robe because they would hear, and they'd tie a rope around his ankle. He went in there with a rope around his ankle. And if they heard, next, how would you like to be the next priest that went in? You know, pray really hard before you go in there, you know, and, uh, but what happened when Jesus resurrected, the Bible says that that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. This is the way I like to think of it. Is it was God's way of saying, hey, I'm getting out of this box. And he moved out of a box, and he was now moving into the hearts of men and women. Everything had changed in that moment. Everything had changed. And so, and the reason that that's so important is this is that we are to grow and to mature in our understanding, but also in our experience. We don't serve a God who cannot be felt. We don't serve a God who cannot be known. It's quite the opposite. No, we can experience His grace, we can experience His goodness, we can experience His power. Jesus came to give us that ability to know God personally. Not just about him, not just from a, a religious, head, head, heady kind of thought basis, but no, from an experience standpoint. We ought to have understanding. We ought to have revelation. We ought to have those things. But, I think we, but we don't want to neglect the experience or knowing God personally, like in a very real, very tangible way, because that's part of why Jesus came. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us some more instructions, and I'm going to kind of pick up somewhere in the middle of verse 12 here. But he, he gives them instructions. and says, continue to work out your salvation. Now, if we're not careful, that can sound like works, but it's not. He, it really means to what? To process or to work in salvation would be another way to say that. To work in salvation, in other words, to, to, to understand Scripture and to begin to apply that to your life. He says to work out your salvation, that is to cultivate it or to bring it to full effect. This is out of the Amplified Bible. To bring salvation to its full effect. Just because we prayed and asked Jesus to become our Lord doesn't mean that we've experienced the fullness of salvation. That's why we talk about knowing God and finding freedom. Why? Because that finding freedom element. You're like, well, how do I do that? Small groups. You get in relationship. I'm going to share about this here in just a few minutes. But he says that we are to cultivate, to bring it to its full effect. We are to actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling. He says using serious caution and critical self-evaluation. Now that can sound like, do I need to be paranoid about myself? No, it just means you need to give yourself a checkup. That's what January is about. 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer and fasting. So, putting God first, getting order established in your life. Because when you turn down the noise, you can evaluate accurately. How would you like to know that you were going in for surgery, but your doctor and all the nurses are going to have their phones, so every time they get a phone call, you know, hand me the knife, let me make the... Oh, it's my phone. Like, what? Like, no, hey, focus, buddy, focus. <laughs> Pay attention. Well, in January, we're going to give you a great time. We're going to help you. That's why we give you the devotional, man. That's, that's what it's all, is. What is giving you some time to declutter, to, to turn down all the noise. Why? Because we need to have some self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. See, there may be things in our life we say, hey, it's not even a big deal for me. But the Lord would say, yeah, but it, it makes people view me differently. That's what it talks about. So we need to, what, self-evaluate. It goes on here in verse 13. It says, for it is not, your, it's not in your own strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose." For his good pleasure. See God has a purpose. God has a plan. It is for you to influence the world in which he has placed you in. Now you may think well my world's small. Yeah but that's the world God has you in. Even if you think it's small it's not small to him. Why? Because he thought it was important enough to place you there. And so you're there to make a difference. You're there to impact, to influence, to let the light of Christ shine in you. I mean, we got Christmas lights all over the place and they're fun to drive around and look at and what are they doing? They just shining. When they get turned off, you don't notice them, do you? We as believers are called to be light, to light up the world, the world in which we live. We ought to light it up like a Christmas tree People ought to recognize, like, oh, but not just in a curious, like, in a way that's like, man, there's something about you, something that's different. So God's given us what? The ability, the desire to do what we've been called to do. See, we're, we are to be constantly developing in our understanding of who Jesus is, not just that he was, who he is, and also how that affects us right now. We're to be continually developing that. The Bible says it like this, is that we are to be developed in the character of Christ to where we will look more and more and more like him. I've said this before, but you know, I, I turned 40 this year. And I, every year, every decade, I want to be able to look back and be like, man, when I was 30, I was stupid. And I don't mean in a natural sense. I want to say like, when I was 30, I knew nothing about God. I thought I did, but I didn't know anything. And when I get to 50, I want to look back at 40, and I want to say, man, I thought I knew something about God, and you know what? I just didn't know much. And when I get to 60, I'm going to be like, man, that 20-year-old was really dumb. <laughs> he really didn't know nothing. He thought he knew it all, but, man, he didn't understand nothing. Why? Because I want there to be perpetual growth. And when I get to 80, I want to say, man, that 60-year-old thought he had some things figured out. He had a few things, but and if I make it to 100... I want to be better than the 95 year old and I want to be closer to Jesus and I want to know him more and I want to be intimately acquainted as Paul said like more and more and more. Why? Because my great aim in life is that. It doesn't matter if I let everybody else know about him if I don't know him. It starts in me and then out of that I can go out and make a difference in other people. That word maturity simply means this. It means to be fully developed. It also means to have moral or mental character. I mean, I, I, like my son, I would love to eat ice cream all the time. Like, you know, it's a good idea. Sounds great. Just not very nutritious. So sometimes I have to tell myself No. I have a friend of mine, I love this one time. He, we were talking about something. I don't remember what. And he, and he said it this way, and I just thought, how, how funny. He said, Sometimes I need to exercise my no muscle. Tell myself no. Why? Just to exercise that no muscle. In January, you might, be, you might be really like bodybuilding that no muscle. Get thee behind me, Satan. Or that Dr. Pepper that's speaking to me from the fridge. You know, I mean, the pull is strong. But sometimes, why? Because that's what mature people do. Maturity gives you the ability to tell yourself no. Sometimes just so that you know you can. Sometimes you need to remind yourself that you can tell yourself no. I was listening to a comedian the other day, and he was doing this uh, bit, and he was talking about giving his, his kids the gift of no. It was really funny. I was laughing about it. And he was just like, you know, he was, had all these different ways of saying no to him. And he was like, Can I have no? You know, and he had songs. He changed the lyrics. I mean, it was really funny. And, and it's just the, and he's like, And I call it the gift of no. You know, well, sometimes we need to tell ourselves no. Why? Because there's a greater prize, there's something more important to us than just those natural minimal things no the bible says that we have the great prize of knowing christ not just in the christmas story but i mean knowing him personally now let me give you four things real quick i gotta wrap this up i i, I preached this before but i'm not so i'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this but how do you grow in grace i want to give you some practical ways to do this it comes out of acts 242 This is the early church, I mean like the very really genesis of the church there in the book of Acts. They have the day of Pentecost and this is right there at the end. I mean literally Acts chapter 2, the beginning, they're up in the the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then this is towards the end of chapter 2. And it says, it gives us instructions, it says that there were four things that they really kind of focused on. But I also believe these are four ways that we can grow in the grace of God. Four things that will help us. To grow in grace so number one is the apostles doctrine now there's two ways that you can really do this that you can kind of grow in this area so it's the apostles doctrine so there you go it's coming to church faithfully which you're here i mean you're here like pre-christmas like you didn't leave town you're at church like you're in so you qualify so coming to church faithfully but also reading god's word consistently they, what? they made a focus of the word of God. They gave place to God's word in their life. And so they did that through gathering together, but they also did that through reading God's word personally. And so it's keeping it before them continually. This is one of the ways that you can grow in grace. Why? Because if you'll keep God's word before you, revelation will come. The Holy Spirit will, will highlight those scriptures and all of a sudden they, it won't just be scriptures. It, there will be real meaning behind it and you will begin to grow in scripture. Here's the second one. That they did. It was fellowship. It was fellowship. Now this is more than just having conversation. The Greek word, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, was a word called koinonia, which actually gives and gives us much more understanding than the word fellowship. It means a very close, intimate friendship. Like think of your best friend. The person that's closest to you, maybe even your spouse, and then add a spiritual element to that. Because it's not just your BFF. This is somebody who is spiritual, who can help you. Why? Because when you read the Word of God, when you listen to the Word of God taught, guess what? Occasionally, you're going to have some questions. You've got to have somebody to talk to. Say, hey, Pastor said this, and I, what does that mean? So it's this close relationship. That word koinonia means to have active participation in the community of believers through sharing of one's life and of one's resources. Sharing of their life. See, that's why we do groups. Why? Because life is shared in groups. The majority of time, the way that I know what's going on in people's lives is because it comes from their group leader and say, hey, so-and-so's having surgery. I didn't know. Thank you for sharing. I can pray about that now. It's happening in groups and there's a sharing of life. There's a sharing of experience that happens in conversation around God's word. See, true relationships develops God-centered character in our lives. Here's the other benefit: is that we get to celebrate with the joys of each other, and we also get to help carry the burdens of one another, so that we're never alone. No, I, I mean I've got friends, I got people who are on my side, I got people in my corner. That's what it means to have real relationship. But those relationships also help us to grow in grace. Why? Because they'll challenge us when our when our 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 our, our view maybe gets skewed a little bit. You know, I've shared with you before is that I have friends and and it is actually a verse in Proverbs that says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And there's a guy who, a famous quote that says a real friend will stab you in the front. In other words, they're going to call you out and say, hey, stop that. You're looking at that wrong. I've had people tell me things like, don't talk to your wife like that. I'm like, shut up. What do you know? Leave me alone. But they love me. And I, and hey, but it's yeah, it hurt. I didn't want to hear what they had to say sometimes. They challenged me in areas of my thought or my actions or whatever, but the Bible says I'll call those wounds faithful, and today I do. I mean, I'm i thankful for those. Even though it hurt in the moment, I'm thankful because why? It helped me grow in the grace of God in my life. The third one is this. It's the breaking of bread, which we don't understand this. I mean, we don't do it the way they did it really at the, as the early church. It was like a a feast it was a big deal but we do participate in communion which is really what it was all about the lord's supper and the bible says that we are to that we're actually to receive communion until the day that christ returns well he hadn't come yet so we are to what and what it's symbolic but it's also what declaring his birth his death and his resurrection that's what we do through communion. It, it, it's more than just symbolic. It, it, it has serious meaning if we rightly the Bible says, if we will rightfully approach it, that it actually has tremendous power in our life. And so it's important. And then, then the fourth one is this, the last one. And I'll wrap up this morning. It's prayer. Prayer. Like, well, I don't know how to pray. There's only one way to learn how to pray. By praying, you go back to relationship. You're like, I don't know how to pray. Go find somebody who's who can pray, and become their friend. And when they pray, listen. I'm not saying you got to be like them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're just going to parrot what they say. But if you don't pray, you won't learn how to pray. It's like riding a bike. You could, you know, Christmas is this week. You get your kid a bike and you say, just go sit in the window and watch all the other kids ride their bike. You'll learn. (laughs) Wait a second. No, you won't learn. You got to go get on the bike. Yeah, but I might fall. I remember when I got my first bike, I jumped on and I started pedaling. I got to the end of the block and realized I don't know how to stop. I just bailed off, you know. I was like, well, there's concrete in front of me. There's grass beside me. So I'll take the grass over the concrete." it rolled out in the yard you know and then I don't think I could get back on it I think I had to walk the bike back home I think if I remember correct no I mean prayers the same way you're like yeah but I, what if I pray wrong get up it's just communion with God it's just a conversation it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't even have to be pretty the heart matters more than the words your heart matters more than what you say But there's something significant about prayer. Number one, it's an act of faith. If I'm on to pray, that means I have to believe that God's actually listening. I mean, I've had those thoughts like, man, am I just flapping my lips? Are my prayers just getting to the ceiling and they just stop there? Like, So it's an act of faith to pray. But it also, and what? It actually helps me grow in the grace of God in my life as I walk that out. So how do you grow in grace? I just gave you four easy, simple ways. All of us can do them. They're not complicated. They're not hard. We just have to apply them. We have to what? Do them. This is the whole reason that Jesus came. It is the story of grace. And I don't want to Get to heaven and realize, man, there was so much more that God had for me than I ever experienced on earth. And I know there's going to be a degree of that. I know there's areas in my life that I'm, that I'm going to be like, Dad, gummit, I missed that, didn't I? Man, God wanted to do so much more. But I want to make sure that what Jesus bought for me, I enjoy. Because he bought it with his life. And the Bible says he freely gives it and offers it to every one of us. Every one of us, without fail. Everybody gets offered grace. I mean, the Bible says that that God's desire is that all would what? Come to the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of grace. But we have to receive that grace. There's no other way to get it. You don't get it by proxy. You don't get it by being next to somebody who has it. Like, well, maybe it'll rub off on me. It doesn't work like that. Every person has to make that decision for themselves to receive the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? You know, you may be here.